Hey all, welcome to a dram of diving. Uh, we're gonna have a couple things we're gonna talk about first, and then we are going to talk about Close Calls, the book. Um, uh, Stratus is actually down in Mexico currently, uh, so that's how we got the chance to do this uh, on short notice. Uh, he's having a couple technical difficulties, so he's gonna join us in a minute, but there's a couple things I wanted to address first. Uh, up in the comments, I've already thrown uh, like a thank you to our Patreons. I uh, really, truly appreciate uh, all the donations you guys have given us so far, uh, working on getting our new studio up and running uh, and better lighting and, and more space. And you should see see this from the other side. Uh, it's quite comical, actually. Uh, but we are looking to get a little bit bigger and better with that. Um, <clears throat> also, SoundCloud, we've got our uh, <clears throat> the podcast on SoundCloud. And we've got the Apple uh, podcast in there also, uh, as well as our YouTube channel. Uh, if you guys would give us a nice solid follow on the YouTube channel, which would be absolutely amazing. Um, any help there would be highly beneficial for us. Um, right now, I'm going to post up a link to the Dirty Dozen. Uh, we are the guest for the Dirty Dozen trip. Um, coming up, you can go ahead and put your request in for information from Aaron and Aaron will be getting right back to you uh, as soon as you email him. Um, understand that he is in the Ukraine. So it does take a little bit of time um, this time of the evening because it's probably like 11 o'clock over there right around now. Um, so if you email him after this, uh, it might take a little bit to, to get back into you. But in the morning, you will definitely see uh, an email about that. I believe the trip's about half full already. Uh, and that is... Uh, coming up um you can see all the posts on facebook um and just go ahead and get the general general information from them i mean it is a trip of a lifetime um which is going to be very very interesting so uh just to give you guys a heads up um we are moving our physical store and moving that into a much larger space so um, it looks as though our guests are here. So we're going to go ahead and bring them on in. They can hear me right now. Um, and I know your burning question is the proper pronunciation of his name since he is getting a whole bunch of uh, uh, exposure currently. So let's bring everybody in now. So hello, hello. Can you hear us? Yes, yes. we can hear you. How are you? You sound great for being in Mexico. Normally, we get a whole lot of echo in, in the Mexico re region. I know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. First question right out of the gates. Proper pronunciation of your name, because I guarantee a bunch of people butcher it. They don't, actually. But my, yeah, my name is Stratis. Okay. Yeah. And so my name is Alexandra. Yeah. So what brings you with us? You diving together? Alessandra was uh, one of the people that contributed one story in the book. Yep. And then, then invited me to come to Mexico and check out the situation and, you know, cave dive with her, with them, with yep. uh, cave, dive, cave diving, cave, cave training Mexico here. And uh, yep. so that's what happened. Beautiful. That's great. And you got a couple of people down there that actually contributed to the book, right? You visited a few people down there already? Yes, uh, we nice. passed by Natalie Gibb from Under the Jungle as well. And then the rest, uh, the Patrick. book, Patrick Whitman is also with like uh, Protec. 
-hmm. There's a few others, but uh, most of them, their book was sent to them directly. So I just brought the one to Alessandra personally. I love it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. there you go. See, mine's a digital copy. I love that you guys have the hard copy. It's been hard to get a hold of, actually, from what I heard. I don't know if that's completely true, but it is sales went pretty good, right? You know, it is true. It is, um, it's a problem based on COVID and Brexit. Mm -hmm. because basically, the printing was happening in the UK, and especially the shipping to Europe was... Uh, Suddenly, all, all the custom offices of all the countries they had, they were slammed with like millions of like, you know, shipping material. Mm -hmm. They were not used to deal with uh, customs from the UK and everything that was printed material was considered non-urgent. Uh... So even though it was time to be clearing customs, it was going back one day and then another day and then another day because anything urgent that was coming in was getting in front of it in the line. And, gotcha. we, have, and we have now like 45 days delays in Poland or, you know, over in a month and a half in Italy. We're solving this problem now because we moved the printing to Greece and we're only delivering through DHL, which I'm not partial to any of those companies, but it's much more prepared than the ones we were using before. Yeah. And um, it is, it's, it's been hard. Amazon also isn't, it hasn't been stocking the, the book. It was buying based on what it was selling. Mm -hmm. But because we use the print as you order in order not to waste the printed material, Yep. Uh, that meant, you know, three month delays for Amazon, which was not. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Aberfeldy whiskey. Nice. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> so you yeah, have some good tequila down there, right? <laughs> yes, we have tequila mezcal. Ah, yes. We do. So basically from this month we moved all the printing in greece and we're doing all the deliveries through dhl express which means uh, four day delivery times to mexico canada america yep. about 10 days to the rest of the world and two days in europe which is going to make it much smoother the higher percentage of the people who ordered the book were very very patient because some of them had to wait three and a half months and you know i understand that's a long time also it's not available in ebook anymore really no, How'd because that, happen? that was only available through Amazon, mm -hmm. and Amazon was um, uh, it was complicated. It okay. was uh, it was changing the price based on how fast it was selling, uh, and and that was not that was making it impossible for me to follow through and you know make sure that I'm not. I had a lot of people that were finding cheaper prices on Amazon than on our website, which our website mm -hmm. was making marginal profit. Mm -hmm. But because we're not the size of Amazon, we just couldn't keep it. So, yeah, we, we decided to like keep the printed version, and and that's it. That's nice. I I have a digital version. I must have just got it in in the window or whatever. Um, I was just looking to get it quickly and make it a little bit easier to go ahead and read it um, for myself with being on the go. But I I prefer paper copies. So I'll definitely once once the once it comes through and uh, all those avenues open up, I'll definitely be getting a couple more paper copies. So. That'll be very, let me, very nice. Let me know. We can also make a special price for the show, either for okay. you or for people who will buy, you know, through your show. Yeah. Maybe we can send everything to you. We have done it before for other for other presentations. So that would be I'll be happy to do that as well. And thank you for supporting the book and thank you for having us on. So absolutely. Yeah.
It's been, thanks for joining us, and especially a short notice. It just kind of happened to work out just right. I mean, I was thinking, all right, and, you know, you're probably pretty busy and things are going on. We're probably planning a month out and you're like, all right, how about next week? I'm like, that was what I was hoping for, but I wasn't expecting to get that by any means. So, all right, let's go. Absolutely. Um, so how did you come up with the idea to actually put this book together? Well, uh, the main idea was that, you know, Diving has a lot of um, issues with sharing mistakes and, you know, things that didn't go right. Either because of ego or often it's also so just a matter of, like, people don't want to think about it because it's too, way too scary to, to deal with it, you know. Personally, for me, when I was lost in a cave, don't hear, when I was lost in a cave, <laughs> where I was uh, untrained at the time and uh, I never shared it with anybody, not because I was ashamed, it was not even the idea of being something wrong about it. It was that it was so scary that I wanted to forget completely. Mm -hmm. Then I was in Eurotech presenting a thing on exploration and filming in 2018. And one of the speakers told, when I asked him what he was talking about, he told me his subject. And then he shared with me that he really would like one day to make a presentation about all his mistakes that he has done. And that somehow clicked in me, like, you know, what about getting in touch with all the big names like Alessandro or other people that have been pioneering in the business and, and ask what's their mistake. Mm -hmm. As an idea sounded great. And then the closer I was getting to the project, I thought like, what am I doing here? I'm going to ask all these people who all their business is based on being infallible, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was wrong because everybody jumped on the train straight away and it was, they were very happy about it and sharing either silly mistakes or important mistakes, but you know, always with the humbleness of like, these are mistakes that everybody could have done. And it's nice to hear all those people that we all admire, that we think that would never make a mistake, that they will admit something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was pleasantly surprised. It changed my opinion about the diving community overall, I have to tell you, so that's that was good. It seems like it's, a, it's an overall overreaching challenge to get people to talk about it, but the seems like the people with the best stories are willing to kind of share them. And it seems like there's a disconnect between the mass and the, um, the drivers of the community. It's just trying to get that to take hold in the mass. Would, would you say that's, that's about the case or did you have challenges trying to get people to share? No, I had uh, approximately a 95% uh, positive response. Mm -hmm. Few people that didn't want to do it. Uh, it was, and it could be true. They said like they never had a close call in their life. Mm -hmm. Some of them with like over four or five thousand dives. It seems strange to me, but I, you know, why not? It could happen. I don't know. Yep. The point yeah. is, most of the other people, actually everybody else, was really really keen. I was also very glad because I had like people like Alessandra or Phil Short that immediately agreed to that, and it was easier when I was selling the thing that you know. You know, Steve Bogart, Alessandra, Phil Short are doing it. You want to join? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that changes things pretty quick, right? <laughs> I, I felt that it did. It was not planned, but it did. I just went straight away for the people that I knew somehow. So, yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. So, um, what were some of your biggest, there must have been some sort of a challenge for you to get the book together. What was the, what was the biggest challenge in actually getting the book together? I thought it would be getting the contributors to speak. But at the end, it was basically everything that happened after that. And it's silly because I have a very big experience in publishing. Mm -hmm. But 
never in book publishing. I, I've been involved in magazine publishing and you know other things like that. To make sure that uh, in a year like this year, you know, full of COVID <laughs> and and all the difficulties that are happening around, and it was it was really difficult to to deal with the with the after part. Mm -hmm. Honestly, a few of the contributors they just uh, needed a little more pressure than normal. Yeah, but you know, from what I realized, you know, some people were very free during the first lockdown. Others were very very busy during that same time. So you know, what what am I to say? You know, like that. Maybe they were just busy. So that's it. But yeah. honestly, that was that was not complicated. It was more complicated after that to make sure that you know the quality control was right we took us a few test prints to make sure that the book was the way that we liked and then um, it got to be very close to christmas and that meant super high season for everything that is printed for postcards and you know holiday cards and everything and then england decided to leave the european union which was brilliant and you know <laughs> then we had the English British. We had a British COVID strain that stopped all trucks leaving the UK. Mm -hmm. And imagine that all European deliveries were done by truck. So for weeks, they were just waiting in in some truck somewhere in the southern border of England. Yeah, yeah, we're waiting for our Kubi order. Yeah, we got our Kubis. We're waiting for that are up in the UK, and we can't get the gloves right now. We're on the waiting list for them. So hopefully, we'll get them pretty soon. But yeah, we're we're feeling that definitely. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that that was that. It's not even a challenge. That's like the frustration because all I want is to have the book go out, and you know, people when they get it, I'm happier than them probably because they get it. And uh, sometimes it's just what it is. Some of the contributors in like the ones in Italy, they're waiting for three and a half months, and the book have been shipped. And every day I get a notification that it's going to be delayed one more day for generic brexit complications which there's nothing you can do mm -hmm. yeah it will get there yeah it is what it is so um what was if you can just give like a little teaser of um uh, maybe a couple of different stories uh maybe your personal stories on what's included in the book um on the on close calls just in case people i think most of the people that are on here right now have have read the book or are familiar with it, but if you could just give a general teaser, each one of you guys, of uh, one of your close calls. Okay. Or the entire story, whatever you want to give. <laughs> Go ahead. So in my case, I've been writing about uh, a dive I did, uh, a technical dive I did, and uh, where I made the, the mistake to change uh, previously before entering the water too many things in my uh, equipment and I realized that while I was descending that I would have had probably a problem and instead of being smart enough to call immediately the dive you have money involved in the gases in the boat your body I said no maybe I manage it and then when I was going up at 80 feet I realized I would have had a serious problem in the next deco stops we solved it because uh, the body had, was a person I've been diving for ages and uh, we had the perfect understanding of uh, the situations. Uh, but it was a very good class of that. Number one, don't change too much your equipment. Make one change and see what happens. 
And if you feel something is going to be wrong, it's going to be wrong. So better you make the call before it gets wrong. So that yeah. was my story. Yeah, it doesn't get better underwater. It gets worse. Uh -huh. like, <laughs> that, is, that is a unifying theme. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. we talk about that a lot in our technical training of, you know, if, if you even feel slightly off, it is going to be worse and it's going to be harder to deal with it later on. Um, and, you know, all those external pressures, I think that's that's one of the areas that, that you know, we do a lot of stuff with Gareth Locke and, and talk with Gareth. I know he, he contributed to the book, but the human factor stuff, I use it for a lot of things um, for training wise. And a lot of that just comes into play and, and that's it. You got those exterior pressures to keep going. So, all yeah. right, Stratus, what about you? Well, first of all, you mentioned Gareth and I would like to say that he was one of the very, very, very early supporters of the idea of the book and he helped me very much. So I want to thank him personally again on the show. Thank you, Gareth. <laughs> Infinite thanks to, to him and uh, not just because he wrote the book that he wrote also, he helped me personally to develop the book together with Eduardo and, uh, of course, Michael Menduno, which has uh, mm -hmm. been of an in, in incredible amount of help all the way to the end, even happening now. We have some interesting news that are coming up as a development of the of the book, probably in like a TV series, but it's too early to talk about it. You're the first one to, to hear that, by the way. Nice. Love it. We're working that sounds on great. It. And yeah. uh, my story was like uh, a typical Mediterranean too confident with a decent buoyancy technical diver that thought that, you know, caves are just, you know, let's get in a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. Oh, there is a line. I should just follow that. It will get me out. And, uh, you know, then the next time you bring a camera and then you do a blind jump and then suddenly everything looks the same and everything looks new. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, it was a case of being lost in a cave with a friend who was thinking that I knew the cave. I didn't admit that I knew the cave, but you know I lived next to the cave, so it was an assumption, and I decided to just video everything and uh, not really doing doing blind jumps after blind jumps, etc. And then finally getting back to the main line, which was good, but uh, nothing looked familiar. So mm -hmm. I remember. I remember seeing familiar formations and feeling I will never dive again. Of course, I didn't keep the promise, but <laughs> it was scary. And right there, I decided that, you know, this is really beautiful and it's a pity to be so afraid of it because I was thinking that if I wouldn't do the course, I would never get into a cave again because it was 40 minutes of agony. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take the course. And uh, now I know that if that would have happened, I have a, a whole series of tools to deal with it and it wouldn't even be a concern that kind yeah. of incident would have killed me that right now would not even make me change my consumption rate so i think it's important of course yeah and that's the importance of training in, in a lot of those environments like yeah there's trial and error yeah there's you know there's um, we've had these, these conversations on the show previously of, you know, well, the old people, the people that learned how to do this stuff did trial and error. Why can't I, well, they, they paid for it and people dying and we don't want to do that anymore. Right. So, um, no. the best way to talk about it is to talk about close calls and, and how we can learn from them and, um, even not so close calls and talking about what we can learn from them. Yeah, um, close is a very relative term, you know, for some people, mm -hmm. a close call is, it has to be 
that they have tried everything in their toolbox and then thinking that only luck will save me. For mm -hmm. others, minor failure might feel like a close call, and that's respected, you know, in both cases. Mm -hmm. yep. point, point is that um, for me, the big lesson was not just don't do the dive that way. I remember that nobody knew about that moment. You know, I came out, my the buddy that was with me, I was super lucky that he was a very, he had a huge ego as a personality, so he would never admit that we went through that. And I was safe. So I felt like mm -hmm. he's not going to talk about it. I'm never going to talk about it. We didn't spoke about it for 10 years. Wow. And even now, he still asks me, like, is it our story? Like, ah, no. <laughs> Now the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> so the thing is that sharing is very important. And uh, if, if the people who read the book know that, you know, some of the stories are so basic. I mean, Alessandro is one of them. It's one of those stories that theoretically you think, oh, this will, this will never happen to me. And it has happened to me also, her story. Mm -hmm. Know that severely and on a lighter dive, but still a decompression dive. And, and it, it happens because sometimes we... For various reasons, we end up in those in those conditions. The point is not the more we share and the more we talk about it. I think the more they don't become taboos, and then people can build on it instead of like just you know putting it under the carpet. In my opinion, yeah, because yeah. sometimes the, it, it's that normalization of deviance. It's the those close calls actually build confidence to actually behave poorly. Uh, nothing happened this time, so I can, you know, I can I can skirt it next time and I can skirt it next time and I can skirt it next time and maybe they go further and further or maybe they're just, you know, playing playing the luck card. Um so yeah. having those having those conversations out there and just saying, "Listen, th these are to learn from so that we can not do these in the future." Um is massive and to make people realize that they're they're not alone in those experiences. So um, and having those people say, you should have called those dives. And, you know, I talk about it with, with a bunch of people that I dive with and say, listen, I will, you want to gain respect for me, call the dive. Don't, uh, push the dive. Um, uh, you push it and you lo lose respect from my standpoint. If you call it and say, no, today's not the day. I got a lot of respect for you if you had some stuff on the line. And, um, that's, that's what we are seeing a lot, um, with this sort of education path. So, that's um, good. I think, I think we're going to the right direction overall. Ooh, Ashley's got an excellent question. And Brock's got a question that we're going to come back to later on. Um, but Ashley's got a great question. I'm going to throw this up here and I'm going to read it for the podcast. I'm curious how you decided which stories to share or did you choose the diver specifically and let them decide which call to share? 99.9%. First of all, hi to Ashley. And 99.9%. I did not ask them to send me multiple options because mm -hmm. I think there's always one story that stands out. Yep. There is a couple of cases that uh, people shared more than one story. For example, in the case of Luigi Casati, the Italian explorer, cave diver explorer, he shared four different stories. They're somehow connected with each other because it also shows that what you said, the normalization of deviance and, you know, how you build on, you know, the safety of having done a mistake that, you know, you got away with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thankfully, nowadays, he's, and he's the person who inspired me to write the book, by the way. Good. He's the one who told me, I would like to speak about, speak about all these mistakes. So I kind of left him, okay, he could go ahead and describe four stories, which I think make his piece very intense. Everybody else, 
he just he or she sent me just one single story and it's not up to me because again you will read Becky Kagan Scott's story and you will imagine it's not such a big deal but you didn't live it mm -hmm. maybe in the paper sounds easy maybe my story sounds like you know okay you lost the line you know you're trained find the line do a search for the exit and find it everybody's story if, if it's categorized as a close call i respect it because it means that it felt like you know this was it so so they send me everybody send one story like 90 except two people everybody else they send one story because it was also specifically requested send me the one time that you thought that you would not get out mm -hmm. so that was it um <clears throat> One of the things we run into in the United States is is the issue, the the litigious issue. Um, were there any issues with people with concerns that if they shared their story that um, they needed to wait for the statute of limitations? Um, it seems like most of the stories were personal, but um, there's some implication there um, with some of the legal aspects with with our special little legal system that we have here. Um, did you run any, any roadblocks or challenges with that? No, because uh, on our side, we had a disclaimer that, you know, we're publishing it the way that the author of this actual story describes it. And it's a personal experience. And often, often it's a description of events to the best of the ability of the person who describes it is not factual. I mean, it is factual, but you know, it's not, mm -hmm cannot be proven so we and like you said it, it in with one exception maybe or two it, uh, it's a personal story so mm -hmm. unless they will sue themselves i think we'll be fine yeah. okay um john's got an excellent question here um did you find any common themes when it came to the close calls uh that went through uh the book from all the different stories yes i had a lot of um uh common themes well we know the mistakes what they are but mm -hmm. uh, common things that i found it was one big category was like very experienced divers doing basic mistakes which for me that was a sign of becoming bigger than the actual mistake but the mistake will follow you until you make it mm -hmm. for the right time until you make it so that was uh, something recurring and then we had um, the other side of the spectrum, like very, very pushed uh, exploration dives with uh, extreme mistakes that you will almost imagine that they will happen. But through again, through the description of each of those mistakes, you could see that it was an admitted failure of the diver to acknowledge the conditions that will bring to that mistake, either in preparation or during the dive, etc. So it was never... What I liked is that nobody ever said like, you know, okay, I've done everything right and it still happened. Mm -hmm. So, and that was, that was the important thing. So the, we have other very basic mistakes or some extreme situations. I mean, we have like the um, cases of multiple mistakes, you know, accumulating one on another, but we don't have, I, I didn't notice a pattern when it comes to, okay, rebreather resetting at depth for example not mm -hmm. something so specific or lost line we had a few of them we had a few of the others the general categories were like basic mistakes that you would imagine they should never happen but they did and extreme mistakes that still you might imagine that they happen and they did 
So that that's the two big categories. Nice. Has this uh, changed either one of your guys diving in any way, shape, or form? Like, like you you've researched it, but once you put it all together and saw it, did it change your your preparation, your diving in any way, shape, or form? The questions for both of you guys. Um. Well, what changed was uh, that, uh, as I said before, when uh, I get that the feeling is wrong, mm -hmm. it's going to be wrong. So yeah. do not wait for the mistake to happen anymore. But uh, enough of the feeling or the information I get that the mistake is going to be happening and make it the correct decision. And honestly, because of the training I had uh, and the good relations I had with my body, we managed to solve everything in a very good way. So I've been learning to dive with certain type of dives only with people that I trust. They have the same training I have, and we have the same communication and ability to go through the things so that we manage to solve problems instead of sinking in them. Mm -hmm. And that seems like it's, it's a unifying thing throughout the entire book. When you look at that, it really drills into you that, yeah, well, you were yeah. saying there's two different categories, but but one of those things is when you ignore those little things, the, they're going to compound, and that that definitely is going to be driven home in the book. And what you said is what I teach uh, when I teach cave diving or technical. I tell my students there is a I respect you a lot more if you call the dive instead of going into the dive just because you wanted to say yes or be accepted or be pleased. Uh, or be nice with the others. Mm -hmm. So there is more respect in uh, saying, no, it's not for me. I don't feel okay. I have this problem with the equipment and I call the die for myself. So I think, I think it's true. I think yeah. that's, I think everybody who is normal now thinks that this is yeah. the way it is. Mm. But in the past it was not, you well, it was yeah. this macho thing. And yeah. You yeah. had to go in the dive anyway. Mm-hmm. That's caused a lot of accidents, and that's yeah. So, uh, Stratus, anything that you that you saw that or like have have you changed your diving after writing this book and said, you know what, I need to incorporate this more. I need to change my way. You know, even beyond the initial thought of I should write this book. Um, I am guilty that I'm like if I would get light in the water and I would feel slightly light, I would fin down mm -hmm. often. If there was enough, if, especially if there was a downline that I could hold on to, I would not. Right now, having, I would probably be more careful. <laughs> yep. But uh, the one thing that I, I actually have to correct what I, my answer from before. The one thing that I was recurring often in the in the book, it was unfamiliar equipment. More than one item of unfamiliar unfamiliar equipment in a, in a new dive, in a mm -hmm. new serious dive. So I used to do that all the time, but not because I was thinking that I was invisible, but because I never thought it would be a problem. So I would suddenly get a new dry suit out of the box and go on a serious decompression dive and not even really check the zips mm -hmm. and, and the zippers. And and in cold water, when we're in Russia, you get a, you find out immediately. <laughs> yep. in, in the summer in Greece, at some point, we only found out when we entered into the cave and went for a while, and then suddenly we met sweet, uh, how you say, non non seawater. We met mm -hmm. fresh water. Fresh water. Yeah. 
And that's when I felt like, you know, this is not humidity, this is water going in. And I had an hour and a half to come back, freezing, went into like serious hypothermia, just because I didn't wanna, and I even had the time. I just didn't want to invest the time into getting into shallow seawater and make sure that nothing is leaking and too much confidence. Mm -hmm. So after that book, because I saw it happening more and more and more, I promise that I will not do that more than, more than once a week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, those warm-up dyes are, are critical when you're when you're getting new kit and you're you want to try it out and, and doing something shallow, you know, changing one thing and, and then maybe changing multiple things, but you still need to do some some shallow checkouts or some pool work or whatever you need to do. You definitely need to check that gear out and make sure before you take it into any sort of environment. And and you see that these people are so confident in a lot of their stuff, they'll just grab it and go. And it's like, you know, we see it with like DSMBs. Like I, yeah. I do it when I teach my, my, one of my tech classes, you know, uh, you don't, they didn't check my DSMB before going in. They don't know what kind it is. And I got one that is miserable to try to inflate. So when they lose theirs in class, I go, here's mine to go ahead and blow up. I've got to deal with my reel. And they go to look at it. They're like, what is this? I'm like, I don't know. You should have checked earlier um, <laughs> to drive that home. I know you guys don't do that in the cave, but I'm like, good luck with that one. It's fun yeah. to try to inflate. Yeah. Um, so uh, I did. And, and then another thing that was happening a lot, it was also exp seeing experienced divers that managed to solve the problem after all, but still experiencing a certain degree of uh, narrow vision. Mm -hmm. And I thought that this cannot happen, but I remember having a huge issue with the thermal vest that was on maximum and I couldn't switch it off for mm -hmm. some reason because of the canister. And, and we were in four degree water in Russia and I had an hour to come back and I came back and I looked like a toasted piece of bread. Mm -hmm. And when I came out, my body said like, why didn't you just pull the wet contact? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yep, exactly. Like, oh, that, that's, yeah, I should have done that. You're completely yeah. correct. So so there, there was a lot of things that you will think, why didn't you, and it's preparation solves something that in the water can feel like a mountain, you know, so. Yep. so that, yeah, but I, I if, if I got to be a better diver and I think I did because I don't want actually any of the stories to happen to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. and uh, therefore I hope that you know other people, especially the the people who start now, that they will take this in consideration. Not specifically only the stories in the book, but the fact that you know everything will happen eventually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Brock brings up an excellent point. Uh, not one story that I have read in the book has talked about a faulty snorkel. He is very very correct in there. There has <laughs> we have not seen any faulty snorkels. However. Uh, the absence of an incident doesn't necessarily mean it's safe, Brock. So, and also, um, what is a snorkel exactly? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I have no idea. Do you? Yeah, yeah, I got. We have to put them on every once in a while for teaching open waters, but other than that, yeah, whatever. Um, so, what are you doing down in Mexico to change gears a little bit? What are you guys doing down there right now? Bob? Well, I'm, I'm the luckiest man in the world because. In Greece, we have an insane situation for no reason that uh, we're hitting now the three and a half months of full lockdown mm -hmm. with uh, 20 to 
12 to 20 fatalities a day in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And everything stopped. So I was basically experiencing a pre-depressive state, mm-hmm. for my standards at least, that I'm a happy person. Yeah. And I spoke to Alessandra, like, you know, what to do? I'm all like, you know, I, I don't know what to do. You know, my rebreather arrived one day before lockdown. Mm-hmm. On your rebreather. Imagine this. I mean, I, I consumed an entire cylinder of gas just turning it on and off in the house. <laughs> so well, practicing new kit, I guess. <laughs> that's it. So, and then Alessandra, she, she was like, come to Mexico. And normally I'm, it's not that I'm hesitant, but I need more motivation. And I think she hit the sore spot and like, you know what? I am. Yeah. And I came and uh, it's been wonderful. And, uh, and I wanted also to, to, to uh, extend an invitation to everybody who is feeling like I did, locked down and depressive. Right here seems that things are fine. You know, there is, yeah. there is, a, there is a tremendous amount of care. I think they check and, and they have a safety record that it is what, you know, many European countries wish they did. You know, you mm-hmm. go everywhere, people are checking you for temperature. They are, actually, I'm going to let Alessandra speak about it because she's local and she knows more. So we, all I do is I'm here, I'm following three basic rules and I'm having a normal life. We go to restaurants, we have, uh, we could have a drink next door to the house in a bar if we want to. And uh, we go diving and everybody seems to taking things seriously, but at the end life goes on. So it's yeah. great. That's good. So Mexico is doing the right thing. So uh, we didn't, uh, I mean, invent anything, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we are not probably one of the more advanced countries. Uh, they follow pretty strict uh, ruling on some basic things, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, Strati said, uh, use of the mask to enter public places. Once we are sitting in the restaurant, we can remove it. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, bars are the same you enter you have to use the mask you remove once you are inside they keep distances uh, between the tables so obviously instead of they are now 50 percent capability mm-hmm. capacity and uh, <laughs> so uh there is space in between the the tables which gives safety for interaction among yeah. different groups uh, even in the cenotes, uh, we are asked to enter with the mask, the gates. They take the temperature, they put gel on your hands. They clean your shoes, which I've never seen anywhere in Europe. Huh, interesting. They clean the under of your shoes because, you know. They don't know from where are you coming. So, mm-hmm. uh, like in uh, our facility, we take temperature even to ourselves. I mean, we he lives in the house with us. Yeah. but. We take uh, the temperature of each other when we go to the before going out the diving to make sure that we are fine. And uh, inside of the cenotes, we are allowed uh, to stay without the mask because we are in the open air. Mm-hmm. And up the underwater, we have a regulator, so we are fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's <laughs> people are like, are are you sterilizing stuff? I'm like, yeah. You mean the stuff that everybody puts in their mouths that we were sterilizing before all this? Yeah, we are absolutely using steramine on a bunch of stuff because. That's what we've been using for years, but yeah. yes, yes, we are. <laughs> so, so, I mean, uh, that's uh, my sister, and uh, she lives in Italy, 
and she was trying during the lockdown in Italy to tell me, oh, you have to come back, it's safer here. I'm like, no, it's safer here because the rules are applied in a more strict way, maybe. We still use the same rule that it was during lockdown, mask, gel, and temperature, and table. Yeah. Now we can go to the restaurants, uh, and we have, uh, honestly, a pretty normal life compared to many countries. Completely normal life. Everybody should come. It's like, <laughs> no, no, I mean, I don't have any yeah. stakes or any right. business here, but my personal experience, I'm actually just moved my ticket. It was supposed to be this Saturday to three weeks after because my family said, like, you know, you should stay longer. There is nothing to do in Europe. Everything is closed. And apart the fact that it's freezing and here, honestly, well, uh, sorry, well, my friends, all my diving friends, they were not telling me how were the caves. Uh -huh. They asked me, how were the restaurants? <laughs> That's funny. Yes, I yeah. find it, but also, you know, we've been since November 1st, we had to eat at home. So, of course, no, people know how the restaurants are, but, you know, the fact that it's something so habitual becoming something yeah. so special. And mm -hmm. here, you, it's it, it feels very very normal yeah i told him you wanted to go back to greece fine but you have a lockdown if you stay here <laughs> we can go cave diving again for another yeah. three weeks you that's make a great. call i made the call <laughs> yeah that's a much better one because when we last talked i was going to ask i'm like you're leaving in a week and now you're leaving in three so that's nice <laughs> that's much better yes i like uh, that one i have a bit more uh caves to show him nice so are you diving the rebreather? Brock was wondering, uh, Brock had a question. The book was a significant number of stories related to CCR use, and yet you are now training on the KISS. Um, it, and you said you got a new rebreather um, right before the pandemic happened. Are, are you jumping on that down there and doing training down there? What's what's going on? Training in the sense that I'm, I'm not an instructor on the machine. Gotcha. I am just a diver on the machine. I, I personally do not feel personally comfortable with like at this phase to teach any CCR because I think it has very much to do with like the psychological aspect of the student, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to machines like the, the kids, which are wonderful, but they, there's a lot of involvement of the actual user. I am mm -hmm. uh, using it uh, here and it's been, it's been great. It's uh, actually it's a challenging environment for the machine because there's a lot of shallow water and like any other breather, it's okay in shallow water, but it will prefer maybe to be, I don't know, 15, 20 meters instead of two. Yeah. Going from one and a half, 1.8 to four, which normally I like shallow dives, uh, but it's been performing well. It's been, it's great. Like it's, it, for me, the going on the, on the sidewinder was as a revelation as it was when first diving. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's very good. So. Again, thank you, Mike Young, and everybody who made it. <laughs> Having it's fun again. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple of uh, ebook questions. Is there a potential of the ebook coming back or um, making more of like a, a repository of stories that that somebody can access? Uh, potentially, like. Uh, different people uploading into like basically extending the book out by adding their stories into it for a subscription service or something along those lines that, that make it more of a less static and more uh, dynamic um, or even just the ebook coming back because people are having trouble finding the hard copy. 
well, again, uh, the hard copy, once I go back um, to the beginning of our, our speech, mm-hmm. uh, it will be available starting this Monday. We are starting all the new shipments, and the people, the most they will have to wait, it will be 15 days. Okay. Because the books are printed every 15, every 10 days, and uh, the maximum shipping, which is New Zealand from Greece, it will take seven days. That's the absolute maximum. So an average for the US, in your case, DHL will guarantee four-day delivery in mm-hmm. your door with a tracking number. It will make things much smoother. I, I apologize for everybody who had faced problems before, but we expected both the printing company that we collaborated and the delivery company that they are like basically huge companies to be running things a little more smoothly. They didn't, and uh, it's not about pointing fingers. It's about that I. I can understand the people's frustration, but also for each one of their frustration, I had to be frustrated twice because I had both the, the, the sadness of them not receiving the book on time and also having to find a way how to do it. Mm-hmm. So we kind of stopped the whole production at the beginning of January and said, okay, we need to find a way to do it. Now we're all sold. And uh, I think this Monday is the first shipments that go out, the first 281 books. So all the orders of January and uh, February will go out. And uh, if you will order, for example, a book tomorrow, it will go, it will be printed and will be delivered to you in uh, two and a half weeks from now. And that is uh, guaranteed at this point. So of course, people can still think of the option of the ebook, but it's not going to be based anymore on not finding the book. Gotcha. And yeah, we can, and like we were talking about earlier, we can create a link. Uh, I'll throw it up whenever you can get a chance to create a link. I can throw it up on the, the Facebook page and, and link to it on all these things. Um, so you guys can find a, a copy to that question. I've gotten multiple times actually that I had forgotten about it is audiobook. Is there a potential for an audiobook um, read uh, of this in the near future? Uh, we are speaking right now with a sound engineer that is also a close uh, friend and uh, the person that was involved in in the book from Belgium that he is considering to help me with that. Whenever you do anything that is like an audiobook, you need to consider the additional uh, cost that is not necessarily the cost. It, basically, you need to find somebody who will do it. And I don't have... Uh, you need to find somebody who will narrate 120,000 words. Yeah. So right now, the audiobook, I'm still flirting with the idea because I like to offer all the options that people are asking for. And um, we're discussing it this with this person. And then, because for me, I'm not experienced in that. Like, my problem with the, with the ebook was also that, that I didn't have any experience with ebook. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to just put an ebook out there that I couldn't like support it properly. And that's why we gave it to Amazon and now it's not happening anymore. But yeah. I want to have the ebook also for ecological reasons available. Yeah. And uh, also for some people who don't, who cannot afford the price because the printed book actually came to, comes to be quite expensive at the end of the day. Yep. Uh, Brock read my mind and I was letting you finish your statement before I interjected with this one. Um, an audiobook spoken by each, every contributor would be amazing if you could get them dif- de- difficult logistically, obviously, but it would be very interesting to have each person read their own, re- read their own words. Um, I don't know how you guys would, would pull that off with the audio quality, but it would be very, very interesting. That sounds great. I think Brock is, uh, he's hired and he can be the coordinator of that project. 
Get on it, Brock. <laughs> that means he's going to be on my show less. He's not here every single week. So, uh, or every other week that we have the show, but every single show Brock's hanging out. So I guess Brock, you got a new job you need to work on, bud. but I think so. it's a brilliant idea. I think if, if there will be an audiobook, it should mm -hmm. be that version. And, uh, there is maybe a few people that, uh, don't have any, they don't have a big comfort with English language. Even reading their own story would be hard for them. Yeah. But I think overall, out of 68 contributors, this might be like three or four and it might be worth it. Because I think the color that people will give to their own stories will be better than having the random person reading. So thank you for the idea. I think that yeah. I will put it down in the notes and speak with my with my person that is uh, dealing with that in Belgium. And I think that's brilliant, you know. And yeah. uh, if I go back to Greece and I'm in lockdown, I have tons of time. So there you go. Yes. Yeah. That's that's exactly. Uh, Brock said, "Talking to industry legends, sign me up." I think he's all for that. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a great idea. I, I think that would add so much, like you said, so much flavor to to the entire thing. Um, and then, are there plans to write more of this or co collaborate more with these things and expand upon? I know you kind of hinted at some audio visual type stuff maybe going on in the future, but is there an, are plans for expanding to another book or um, additional resources? Well, we wanted to for it to be a motivator for all kinds of people to speak about their stories. Mm -hmm. So now we're discussing it with Dan Europe, maybe to make a website mm -hmm. that people can submit uh, a, with their own name, their own experience. It will be a website that uh, we're still thinking about it, but I think it's going to happen. People will be able, like anybody, will be able to upload a story there won't be the possibility to comment on that because often on diving stories we yeah. have a lot of uh, acid comments coming mm -hmm. up and but it will be the possibility for people to contact uh, through the platform the author because then it's different then you have a direct contact let's say you have an experience and it happened to me and i was shocked by the experience and i want to stop diving because of that but then you mm -hmm. speak about the same story it could become even healing as a process in a way, but not in an open platform that everybody can comment and, you know, say it is the fault of your cylinders not being trimmed or anything like uh, that. Yeah, just look at the side mount form and it would be littered with that sort of commentary. So yeah. um, the old scuba board uh, scenario. So, yeah, that's well, I are, like that idea. <laughs> we are, we're going to open it to everybody and uh, we're going to keep the same concept you know it doesn't matter if the story is silly for me or for you not silly but you know it sounds light everybody's personal description of a close call or you know moment that he thought or she thought that they would die it's respectful so that's the idea behind that and dan really likes the idea because also they're all about diver safety of course and we just need to prioritize all our projects right now the actual book is the priority and all the difficulty that we went through because of what they think that we discussed once that is solved and it's running smoothly, which seems to be starting now, and then we can uh, we have the two avenues, like I told you, one would be the, the TV series and the other one would be the, the platform, the open platform. I love it. That's great. Um, Brock was curious. He, he posted up another comment. Um, have the people that indicated they didn't want to speak out uh, end up contacting you and, and wanting to get in on a volume two, or did that change their attitude in any way, shape, or form? Did anybody change that tune once they saw it going through or has it kind of been static that way 
No, I had one personally that told me that he didn't reply to me because my original email went to spam. <laughs> yeah. Which is possible. Yeah. And I mean, from that specific person, I received no reply at all. And I mm. didn't know him personally, so I didn't want to push more. Yep. Or everybody else who told me that they never had a close call, they stuck to their story. And I mean, like I said, I hope it's true. So it's yeah. good. It's very, very, very possible. Yeah. I've heard that before. So, um, so the the glaring question is now you've got three more weeks in Mexico. What are the big plans now? I mean, you. <laughs> What's the big plan now? Uh, yeah. I don't know. What's the big plan? Uh, cave diving. Uh, I'm a, a kiss rebreather diver too, but I don't use because I teach or I guide uh, in open mm -hmm. secret a lot. So I will take the opportunity to use my kiss with him. Mm -hmm. Go cave diving. And uh, basically, waking up in the morning, eating wonderful fruit and fresh juices, and you know, going cave diving, coming back in the afternoon, enjoying the winter, and getting sunburned, and having dinners out and cocktails. That's that sounds like a very busy three weeks. I mean, that's a that is packed with things to do. I mean, that's yeah. You, know, you should relax some while you're trying to make sure you have some relaxation time scheduled in there. Yeah. Oh, good. Jeez. Have yeah. you ever been, have you ever been done? I have actually, um, the opening picture is uh, from when I did, I did some cenote stuff. Um, my wife has decided that I can go inside shipwrecks and I can go inside deep shipwrecks, but she doesn't really feel comfortable being going in caves. So um, I've respected that for the most part and been able to dabble a little bit. Um, we did break through and have the conversation. She's like, would it expand your capabilities of teaching if you got certified? And I was like, yeah, it would increase my knowledge base. Yes, it would. It would be very beneficial. I'd love to, um, but it's just uh, not quite in the cards yet. But I did do, I've done a couple of trips to uh, Cozumel where we jumped over to some of the cenotes and did um, some trained cenote tours and small groups and stuff like that. But um, we definitely wanted to get, you know, get a, uh, a group together and head over and do some uh, training. So it would be very, very nice. This is the place to be, and honestly, you know, we Alessandra, we agree on this. Cave diving is the safest type of diving you can do. Yeah. <laughs> done properly is safe. Yes, done properly. Exactly. And it's the most. It's one of the highly trained ones and hard to get access to, right? So it's a little bit more restrictive, somewhat. So um, it, it would lead to be that definitely. You know, the amount of training that gets involved. If you want to jump into the cave training. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. So, all right, beautiful. So um, you guys have got a bunch of cave diving to do. And the only homework that I have for you guys is to get me some sort of a link or figuring out so I can get all the, the people who are joining in and listening to us uh, some way to go ahead and get your book um, in, uh, in an avenue for them to get it. I don't want to say quickly, but as quickly as they possibly can because they're, they're dying for it. I've been hearing it over and over again. We want to get them this book because I, I think it is excellent for the industry to see this. Um, and I applaud you for putting this together. I really, really enjoyed it. So thank you so thank much. Thank you. And uh, thank you for contributing. So I will, I, we will send you all the relative links, both our okay. links. I will also send you a link uh, probably during the weekend okay. uh, that will have a coupon discount for the show. Beautiful. 
and then then they can buy it and like i said it will not affect any at all the delivery will still be the same everything will just have a special discount because of the show and thank you so much thank you yes. very much. and uh, like i said whenever you want come join us i would love to so all right so what the plan is i'm going to take you guys out of the feed i'm going to say goodbye to everybody and then uh if you guys are still there i'll pop up and say goodbye uh once the feed once the live feed is over sound good to you guys sure yep all right thank you very much guys thank you very much Bye. Uh, bye. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of A Dram of Diving. Uh, we really appreciate everybody that that is uh, donating to Patreon. Uh, once again, like we said, we've got that Truck Lagoon trip going on where we're special guests. Um, and with uh, Aaron and the Dirty Dozens, uh, maybe we'll start putting together some some cave trips and stuff like that. That'd be that'd be pretty cool and, and fun. Uh, so once again, really appreciate it. Any donations to the Patreon would be amazing. And I really, really, really encourage you if you have not done so already to purchase the Close Calls book. I will post up a link on our YouTube channel, um, which you can follow, it'll pop up right over here. Uh, I will post it into the comments here and then I will do a separate one also, um, thanks guys and have a wonderful day. I'm going to put the banner up and you guys can have a wonderful night.